She's Tori. And he's Nick. And this is I Want to Rewatch. An X-Files podcast, season two. Episode 23. Soft Light. So in this episode, Tony Shalhoub. Oh, I mean, that's not the plot. I mean, is it? Sort of. One of Scully's former students has just made detective, and she calls her and Mulder to unofficially consult on a strange series of missing person cases, where all that's left behind at the scenes is a black scorch mark. Mulder suspects spontaneous combustion, but it might be something even stranger. This episode was written by Vince Gilligan and directed by James Contner was filmed in Vancouver and North Vancouver, British Columbia, and possibly some other mysterious location that we'll discuss later. Its original air date was Friday, May 5th, 1995. And had a viewership of 12.9 million in the United States. And if you remember, the Kalashari also had a viewership of 12.9 million in the United States. And that was the lowest viewership for season two. And I had said that there were two episodes. This is the second. It went up 1.1 million for F Emasculata. And then it went down 1.1 million for this episode. Oh, that's a shame. Again, they kind of have nothing to do with what the episode is about because they're no. lagging indicators. So. Well, yeah. And you just never know. And also too, may like, not have anything to do with the episode. It's like the quality of the season. Yeah. Personally. It might not have. It just might be what else is on on Friday night or what's going on or who knows. Yeah. yeah. Party on Friday night. <laughs> I mean, X-Files <laughs> is a party. Is it? Yes. Mm. Especially this episode. It's a party for me. <laughs> <laughs> party for party for Tori because got Tony Shalhoub. <laughs> All right, so we are at the Hotel George Mason in Richmond, Virginia, which might actually be a real hotel. I don't know. There's like George Mason University. George Mason is apparently something. I actually think he wasn't really a great guy, personally, if I remember my history correctly, but that's nothing else. Virginia doesn't have like super awesome history, let's be honest. Anyway, so the camera moves slowly down the hall of Hotel George Mason, and we see the room 606 open, and a hand puts on the do not disturb hanger on the door handle, and then door closes and inside the room a man takes off his tie and takes off his shoes and we'll learn later that he's patrick newworth and then the elevator lights up and it arrives at the sixth floor and another man gets out of the elevator and we will learn that he is dr chester ray banton and he has kind of messy scientist hair a little bit and on his like jacket it shows an atom And then it has like a logo of something, right? Some kind of logo. And he gets off the elevator and he's kind of looking around and he's also kind of twitchy. He's kind of not mm, really. And he heads down the hall. And then in 606, so New Earth, I said, takes off his shoes. He gets in the bed to relax. He has a drink next to him. We'll find out later it's scotch. Awesome. And he's reading a newspaper. And then Banton is knocking on a door that's directly across the hall from Newworth. And he's knocking on the door and he's kind of, again, he's like twitching. He's looking around. He's knocking, knocking. And he's like, Morris, Morris, I need to talk to you. 
and just keeps knocking, knocking, knocking. And Newworth kind of hears this through the door, like through his door. And he's kind of like, oh, he's, he's trying to ignore it, right? He's trying to enjoy his drink and enjoy his newspaper. And then the lamp in his room kind of like, hmm, kind of like dims and then brightens again. Like there's something weird going on. And Banton is still like knocking on the door. And then finally he's like, Gail Ann is dead. And then Newworth hears that. And he's like, whoa, someone's dead. That, you know. Yeah, it's interesting. Kind of nosy, so you're like, yeah. oh, let's see what's going, going on. on. So he puts his paper and his drink down, and he goes to the people and is looking through. And we hear that Banton is like still knocking on this door across from 606, where New Earth is in, looking through the peephole. And then Banton finally gets frustrated and he backs up. And as he backs up, we see that the light apparently there's like a light right in front of the doors on the apartments. And so, like, it casts a shadow back towards 606. And as Banton backs up, his shadow approaches the door, but then inside 606, Banton's shadow comes under the door, which is weird. Uh-huh. And as it does, it touches Newer's feet, and then there's like this like flash of blue light and stuff, and then Newer is gone. And Banton's like, oh no! And then like we don't know what happened. Like, did like like did he get sucked into like a wormhole? Did he get like vaporized? We have no idea. Banton's freaking out and he shakes his head and then he unscrews the light bulb in the hall that made his shadow. And then he runs down the hall and there's a shadow following him. His shadow, obviously. And then it's the theme song. Ooh, weird. Something freaky is going on. Yeah, it's definitely weird. Maybe he's like Cloak from Cloak and Dagger, except like his shadow is like a portal to another dimension. Ooh, maybe. Yeah, that'd be cool. So, obviously, Dr. Banton is played by Tony Shalhoub, so I'm just going to geek out for a minute. I'm a huge Tony Shalhoub fan. I grew up watching Wings, which aired from 1991 to 1997, and Tony Shalhoub played Antonio Scarpacci, who was kind of like the haggard taxi driver who was always hanging around the airport. So, and that show also shaped a lot of my life. So, for better or for worse, that show. Yeah, I was kind of more of a Thomas Hayden Church fan, personally. Yeah, yeah. You know, everyone loves Lowell. I also really loved Roy, (laughs) Roy Pickens. Oh, yeah. And Faye. You know, you gotta love Faye. Yeah, I just love them all. The Hackett Boys. Oh, God, that show. Yeah, and one of them is Superman. So, yeah, you know. And he's also, Tony Shalhoub is, of course, known for playing Adrian Monk on Monk. And he has won three Emmys and a Golden Globe for that role. And he's been nominated many more times. And Monk I think is it's one good my... for there to be religious shows on television. <laughs> that is not what Monk's about. Oh, but okay. Monk is definitely hmm. one of the shows that I really, I just love. And like, it's one of the shows that I'll watch when I'm not feeling well or something. It just is one of those like. Oh, I just assumed it was like a cat fail ripoff or something. Oh, okay. No, it's a police procedural. Oh, okay. In addition, obviously, Tony Shalhoub has been in many things, but he also has a role in Galaxy Quest, which is one of my favorite movies. So Uh-oh. it's always fun to see Tony Shalhoub. I'm a big fan of him. I think he's a great actor, and I think he does great in this episode. So I was very excited. Yay, Tony Shalhoub. <laughs> that was my Tony Shalhoub celebration. <laughs> yes, the crickets on my end are not an endorsement or a denial of his job in this episode. I'm just waiting for Tori to take the next scene. Oh, okay. Sorry. <laughs> he does a good job. Whatever Nick says, he's great. I said nothing. <laughs> I literally said nothing. Yes, I'm just, I'm just saying, saying that my saying nothing does not indicate. 
So Mulder and Scully arrive on the same elevator as Banton did, and Scully tells Mulder that there have been two abductions in less than a month. And now this abductions. Yeah. So she says her contact at Richmond PD has hit a brick wall. And so Scully told her they'd come by and take a look. And Mulder asks who her contact is. And Scully says her name is Kelly Ryan. She was one of Scully's students when she was teaching at the academy. And she's just been bumped up to detective. So she's nervous about her supervisor finding out she's involved the FBI in the case. So this is kind of like, Hmm. we're not really here. We're just taking a look as a favor. This kind of unofficial. And I think it's really cute. Scully seems really proud of her student. I think it's sweet. So is this supposed to be like between season one and season two Scully teaching? Or is this supposed to be the retconned Scully taught before she started working on the X-Files teaching? I don't know. I don't actually know. And I'm not sure. And I'm also wondering why Scully would be teaching cops at the FBI Academy. Well, it's possible that Kelly like started on the path to become an FBI agent and then switched to being a cop. So maybe she Mm. did go through some classes at Quantico and then changed her mind. Mm. That's possible. I think Mm. a lot of people decide the FBI is not for them. Hmm. Okay. (laughs) You asked. I'm just, (laughs) it's like a reasonable explanation, I would think. I mean, not really, but I think it's just like, oh, Academy. No one's going to think about cops and feds, but whatever. Yeah. So they arrive at room 606 and Scully and Ryan shake hands and Scully introduces Mulder. And Ryan tells Mulder that she's heard a lot about him. And Mulder jokes to Scully that we'll talk later because obviously she's been talking wonder, about Like him. how often does she talk to uh, Ryan and talk about Mulder on the regular? I'm just curious. I don't know. She's or does she like just talk about stuff. Mulder all the time in her classes if this was like the season one, season two teaching? No, hmm. I got the impression that this is like a personal conversation they've had. Huh. Okay. Hmm. So Ryan tells him that the missing man is Patrick Newworth. And he's an executive for Morley Tobacco. He arrived on an evening train because he had a morning meeting. And Mulder asks how she knows he's missing. And Ryan says he set up a 6 a.m. wake-up call, but there was no answer. And Mulder sniffs the drink in the glass on the nightstand. It's scotch. And Ryan says he also missed his meeting. The hotel actually waited three hours before sending security up. And when they got up there, they found that the door was locked and the chain was fastened. They broke in and they found the room was totally empty. So Mulder asks about the windows and Ryan says they were locked from the inside, six stories up, and there's no fire escape. Hmm. There's no way in or out of the room. Very locked room murder here. Yeah. So Scully bends down and she's like studying the heating vent, which we all know tombs could squeeze through. And Ryan sort of jokes like, you don't think anyone could have squeezed through there. And Mulder's like, you never know. And Scully's face is very much like, oh, I know someone who could. I mean, she doesn't say that, but her expression is very clear. <laughs> and I love this. I love that they acknowledge the vent. Like, I love that there was that callback because I feel like a lot of times we don't get that kind of callback. And so I just really appreciated that. Well, I think there's specifically a reason why there's this callback. And we can talk about that later. Okay. Well, I thought it was yeah. good. So I was happy that yeah. they did that. Put a pin in that so we don't forget. Okay. So Mulder asks if they turned up any forensic evidence at all. And Ryan's like, just this. And she pulls a rug out of the way and it reveals this like black splotchy burn mark on the carpet. So Mulder calls Scully over to look at it. And Scully asks what it is. And Ryan says they don't know. The hotel claims it wasn't there before Newworth checked in. 
And there were similar burn marks at the two previous crime scenes. Whoa. Scully asks if Newworth was a smoker, and Ryan says that according to his wife, he loathed cigarettes. And Mulder asks if they've had the substance on the carpet tested, and Ryan says it's mostly carbon with some potassium and trace minerals. And Scully says that's the residue left by burnt human flesh. Well, also weird that a guy who works at a tobacco company would hate cigarettes. Well, I don't know. I mean, that might be why he hates them because uh, he works maybe. at the tobacco company. <laughs> I mean, he does. Maybe he was killed by nefarious agents because that is the cigarette smoking man's brand of cigarettes, Morley Tobacco. I mean, it's possible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Also, the scorch marks are clearly not on the floor when they come in the room. We do get a clear view of the room. They do kind of do the thing where, like, she pulls a rug out of the way. But, so, the rug that she pulls out of the way is darker than the carpet. And when they come into the room, there's, like, a light spot on the carpet. Like, almost like lights coming in through the doorway. It could be a rug because it's, like, lined up. But if it is, it's not the same rug because it's actually lighter than the carpet. So huh. I'm not sure what's going on there because you do get a clear shot. And obviously, obviously there's no scorch marks on there. You would notice that. You would notice that as soon as you walked into the room, you would notice those. I can see right, yeah. But also, I would imagine you would want to cover up something like that so people aren't just tramping on evidence. Yeah, I would it. think so. But so somewhere along the way, they messed up, whether that was like they didn't have the rug there and it was just like light shining in the room or they used a different color rug. Because in the opening scene, if it is a rug, it's lighter than the carpet. And when she pulls it away, it's darker than the carpet. So, right. I'm not sure what's going on there. Yeah. Maybe just a prop master mixing some stuff up. Or prop amateur. Anyway. <laughs> so, it happens. Older notes that part of the burn marks look like a head and an arm. He's like, does that look like an arm to anybody? There's like this one like part that comes around. Like, I mean, it has like three fingers. I don't know. He's, I think he's kind of stretching it a little bit, but okay. And then he steps on the spot and is like, hey, this is exactly where you'd be standing if you were looking through the people. And he's kind of like, hmm, look through people. And he's like, but you wouldn't be looking through the people unless there was something to look at, right? And so they go out into the hallway. And so there's that light, right? And Mulder taps it because it's not really lit and it kind of like goes in and out because the bulb's loose. And so he tells Ryan to have it dusted for prints. And she's like, yes, of course. And then he asks if she can run them against Newworths, and she says they can because they got his prints from his toiletries in the room. And then he also says they should also check them against all hotel staff, just in case, right? Because, you know, obviously someone's got to put the light bulb in there, so probably going to have prints on it from someone. And then he asks for the name of the last missing person, because she said there were two other, right? And she says it was Margaret Wisnecki, and hands Mulder a piece of paper with her name. And then Mulder asks her if this is her first case, and she says yes. And then he asks her if she knows why they gave it to her, and she says no one else wanted it. And then she asks what Mulder thinks may have happened, and Mulder's like, first blush, spontaneous human combustion. <laughs> yep. And then Mulder walks away, and Scully tells Ryan that she's like, she's like, you're doing fine. And then she catches up with Mulder and asks if he's having some fun at Ryan's expense. And he's like, I have hundreds of case files where the human body is reduced to ash with no explanation. And Scully says, well, let's just forget that there's no evidence to support that. And he's like, okay. And then gets in the elevator. Not taking her stuff. Yeah. So I do, Mulder tells Ryan to have the bulb dusted for prints. And then Scully pulls out a handkerchief and unscrews the bulb 
effectively wiping off any prints and then puts the bulb in her pocket. What? Yeah, I, I don't know. <laughs> what? Uh, anyway. And then like Scully, like you bring the X-Files guy to a case and then you get pissy when he suggests it might be related to an X-File. Come on. Like, I don't think she's pissy. I didn't get that at all. I thought they were uh, kind of teasing each other. I don't get that. I don't know. I think they have a good dynamic in this episode, actually. I like their back and forth. She's uh, later. She's uh, next scene. Yeah, I don't think she's dismissive either. I do think she's dismissive because she like he's he's showing her like how you can do stuff, and she's like, yeah, whatever. I'll get you utility belt. But we'll get to that. I thought it was cute. I thought it was. I didn't think it was cute. And then she and later she does something else where she's like, anyway. So maybe it's just how we. Yeah, I think that's just how we interpret it. I don't get that at all, but. So at the Wisnecki residence in Richmond, Virginia, Mulder and Scully pull up to the house and they head up to the door and Mulder notices that the bulb in the street lamp in front of the home is off. So he gets a glove from Scully and he twists it into place and it lights up. So he realizes also loose and he mm-hmm. asks what the odds are. And then he removes the bulb and he shows her a fingerprint on it by illuminating it with a red laser light. And Scully tells him that's a neat trick. And for his birthday, she'll buy him a utility belt. Yeah. Dismissive. I don't think it's dismissive. Like, it's investigative techniques. And she's like, oh, yeah, that's a cute trick. And then doesn't really care. I thought it oh. was just like playful joshing. It did not. I don't know. I think you me. want it to be playful joshing. I think so. it's supposed to be playful joshing. I, I think, think you want her a, to be dismissive. It is a confirmed habit of her being dismissive of Mulder's abilities. Anyway. Oh, I don't think she is. I think she believes in Mulder. I don't know. I don't get that impression from the character at all. I do. So inside the home, there's a black burn patch in the hallway, and it's not too far from the front door. And Mulder asks what they know about the victim. And Scully reads from the report that her name was Margaret Wisnecki. She was 66 years old. She was widowed and retired from the production line at a tobacco company where she worked for 36 years. And Scully notes that New Earth works for Morley Tobacco as well, But Mulder's like, well, half of Richmond earns a living making cancer sticks. Mm -hmm. So Scully agrees he's probably right. And she kind of looks on their file and sees that the first missing person is Gail Ann Lambert, an engineer for Polarity Magnetics. Mm. So they look around the kitchen and Scully, like, you know, is kind of checking the report as they look around. And she says they found no prints in the house. And she asks what makes Mulder think the prints on the bulb mean anything. And he doesn't know. And he opens the trash can and he finds a luggage tag from Amtrak with Wisnecki's name. And the tag says that she traveled to Hampton, Virginia round trip and returned on March 17th, which is the same day she disappeared. So Mulder points out that New Earth also arrived by train and Scully checks, but the report has nothing that puts Gail and near the train station. And Mulder just says, maybe that was a detail that was overlooked. And Scully asks, if so, what's the significance? And Mulder says, maybe these people are being hunted and the hunter is working the train station. Mm. And Scully's like, what happened to spontaneous human combustion? And Mulder's like, well, maybe it's not so spontaneous. And he suggests she calls Ryan and have her get detailed to go down to the train station and check it out. Yeah. Also, new evidence, right? You just adjust your hypothesis. So... Yeah. At at the train station, Dr. Banton is sitting and he's smoking a cigarette. And he's like, you know, again, he's he's not he's kind of like he's not as twitchy as he was in the hotel, but he's not, you know, 
in the best kind of maybe condition, right? And yep. so he gets up and he kind of like takes a few like steps very carefully and he's like watching the ground the whole time. And then he like moves a little faster and he's always checking behind him, maybe for a shadow. And then outside it's dark and in an alley behind the train station, Banton passes under a street lamp that and it and the lamp kind of like mm, goes down for a second and kind of dims and flickers. And then a police car approaches through the alley and stops in front of him. And an officer gets out. And in the in the car, we'd heard the radio talking about like, oh, we've got like a male like behind the alley. We're gonna stop and check him out, kind of thing. So they get out and they go to talk to him. And then he like runs. But then another car pulls up from the other side and blocks him in. And they both pull their guns on him. So I guess it was only like one cop in each car, I guess, because like yeah, it's it's just it's two cars, but there's also only two cops i I actually had to check that because i I thought that there were two for one car and it kind of confused me because we usually on tv you see two yeah but it is just like one per car you have a partner but it is just one per car yeah kind of strange so bantam tells him to stay away from him and then he like ducks into the shadows near some trash cans and he says like i don't want to hurt you and they order him to come out and again they got you know guns drawn on him and to keep his hands where he can see him so he finally comes forward a little bit and he's like please i'm warning you i'm a dangerous man and when the officer approaches and his shadow is like inching towards banton and banton tells him not to come any closer and banton pleads with him and like is slowly backing up but as banton is backing up banton's shadow which is cast behind him because shadows cast the same direction right gets under the officer behind him and the officer is like it's like you know whether he gets whether he's getting burned up or sucked in we haven't really decided and there is ash there right we learned so are they being incinerated we don't know still and like there's this glowing like little blue like white patch kind of fades away and the other is like calls the officer's name is like oh my god and they inches towards banton who tells him to stay away and then uh, i guess the shadow changes direction because then that officer gets sucked into banton's shadow too so it's they must have moved at some point and the shadow changed because then that officer goes boom, gets whatever's happening and Ben's like oh god not again and then he runs away screaming not again no 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 and then it's commercial yeah yeah so i'm not that the, the shadow flips there i'm not sure what's going on but yeah maybe they i don't know enough <laughs> i'm not yeah maybe yeah. the shadow can move by itself <laughs> maybe i don't know yeah i don't know so the next morning, Detective Ryan is in the alley with some of her colleagues, and one of them is like photographing the splotches on the pavement. And Mulder and Scully arrive, and Ryan tells them she sent patrolmen down here like they told her to. And they lost radio contact with the patrolman just after midnight. The men are missing, but there are two more scorch marks on the pavement. And Ryan says this looks like it could be a cop killer case, and she's directly responsible. And Scully reminds her that she was just doing her job. But of course, Ryan's bosses want to know what suspicions she had to send those men down here. And if she tells them she involved the FBI, they're going to snap. And so Mulder asked about the fingerprint on the light bulb. And Ryan says she ran it through the databases and checked it against all hotel staff and guests. There was no match. And Ryan's like, some first case, huh? And Scully tells her to hang on to the case. She's sure something will turn up. So I guess Scully must have gave her the light bulb at some point if she did run the prints on it. Yeah, I guess So. so. Yeah. Although I have to say, like, this is your first case as a detective and you're like involving outside agencies without permission. And you're trying to now you're trying to hide it because you're worried. And like, maybe you need to pick another career. I don't know. I'm um, uh, not sure. Yeah. She seems really kind of nervous and twitchy a lot. And I'm like, how yeah. did you, like, how did you get to become a detective? You obviously had to be a cop before this to become a detective. But 
I don't know. I mean, it's a weird case, and it is her first, and I can see being nervous about that. Yeah, but I mean, but it's not like she's a brand new cop. She's obviously you don't just become a detective. You you are no, a cop obviously first. not. Yeah. So she's like worked cases, just not as like the lead. So, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. So they head back to the car, and Scully asks Mulder if he'd care to share his theories, and he's like, "Not yet." So she says, you don't have a clue, do you? And Mulder says, well, the suspect was here, obviously. So I'm right about that. And then in the car, Scully asks where that leaves them. And Mulder says they might have enough to identify the killer. And she asks how. And he's like, well, he was at the train station last night, as well as probably on March 17th and on the 31st. And so that gives them three days of security tape to cross-reference and find the guy. So Scully says, that assumes we're looking for a guy. And Mulder smiles and says, either way, security cameras are our only witness. So I guess they're looking at thinking maybe find the same person. I don't know. That's a lot of whew, that's a job. It's a lot of tape. Yeah. To go yeah through, and and looking yeah. for someone you don't know, just trying to find someone who appears in all three. Whew. Yeah, it's yeah. a big job. It's not a fun, not a fun assignment for sure. Yeah. So they sit in the security office with a train station security officer and they're looking at security tapes on several monitors. And Scully says she doesn't know how Mulder expects to find their suspect when it could be any of the people. And the security officer says, well, that's it for the tape for this day. So like they come to the end of the tape, right? He's like, that's it for this one. And so Mulder's like, well, okay, well, go back to the other one at the terminal. And so Scully's like, again? And Mulder's like, he has to be on one of these tapes. And so Scully says it's a shame that he's not walking around carrying a sign. And on the tape of the terminal, Mulder notices someone sitting on a bench and of course it's Banton, right? But we don't know that yet. But he's like, there's this guy. He's like, always oh, here. What is he doing? And he's like studying the floor. And so Mulder wonders why. And Scully says, probably the same reason he's spending this whole afternoon in a train station. And Mulder asks the security guard to try and enhance the tape. He's like, can you enhance it 200 times? So they do the cool, like enhance, enhance, enhance stuff. And then they zoom in on the logo on his jacket. And underneath the atom, Mulder reads it. It says, polarity magnetics. And Scully's like, that's where the first victim worked. So, and again, yeah. like all Scully does is complain in this scene. Like, do something or shut up. Seriously. Like, she's just like, are you going to watch it again? Like, we're not going to find the person. And then guess what? Mulder finds it. So, you know, maybe have some faith in Mulder. Also, I, also, I do wonder, so if Ryan is having so much heat on her about this and is afraid of the FBI being involved, why don't they just give her this information and let her do the work? I do get that, like, Mulder's on the trail now, so he's obviously not going to let go of it, right? Right, But, yeah. like, if they solve it, then how is Ryan going to explain that? Like, I don't know. They'll figure it out. Yeah. But I don't think Scully's just doing nothing. She's there. She's helping. She's I not. Mean, she's think... just there complaining. She is not helping. I think you're just she's very, making, no, she, you're looking look, for reasons. No, she like says Scully. she doesn't know what Mulder expects to find. She says right. that. Well, then when they're going to look at it again, she's like, again? And right, then he's like, they've already been through how many hours of tape? I mean, even fast right. forwarding. But guess they've what? They've probably been there for hours. They go through it again and he finds it. And then he's like, I wonder what this guy's doing there. And she's like, I don't know, maybe what he, whatever anyone does who works at the train station. Like, she's not helping. She's just making snide comments. Okay. So, sorry. I, I mean, with it's, your it's, it's, it's on the tape. She's making snide comments. Okay, so. I don't think so, but that's okay. Mm-hmm. 
So at the Polarity Magnetics building, they knock on an inner door. So like they've come through like the glass entrance door and then there's like this inner door. And Scully notes that it looks like it's been closed up, but then someone actually answers the door. And we learn that he's Christopher Davy. I'm sorry. Dr. Dr. Christopher, Christopher Davy. So she flashes her badge and then shows Davy a photo of the suspect from the train station. And she says they're looking for a man who may have worked here. And Davy takes the photo and asks when it was taken. And Mulder says, March 22nd, you knew him? And Davy tells him that it's Dr. Chester Banton. He used to be his business partner. And this is the first that Davy's seen of him in five weeks. He'd wondered if Banton wasn't going to turn up dead. And Mulder's like, how's that? Apparently, Banton was involved in a terrible accident there at Polarity Magnetics. So Davy walks Mulder and Scully down the hall. And he tells them that their facility primarily does, or did, two types of research. Mostly they were designing MEG level applications, people movers, bullet trains, that kind of stuff, stuff that can be sold for a profit or help, you know, mm-hmm. things that are already high speed trains, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. But for Banton, that was just a way to pay the bills because what he really wanted was to pursue more theoretical stuff that he was interested in, like researching dark matter, quantum particles, neutrinos, quarks, that kind of thing. And Scully's like, subatomic particles. And Davy's like, yeah. So basically, the building blocks of reality. And Scully points out that no one even knows if those exist, but Davy says that Banton was sure they did, and so sure that Banton bet his life on it. <sighs> so Davy uses a key card to open the lab, and then they go in, and he says, this is where the accident happened. He says, Banton was working to isolate a new particle. And then Scully is like, oh, this is a particle accelerator. And Davy says that it's one-fifth the power of the Texas Super Collider in a space the size of a Walmart. And Mulder asks, what powers it? And Davy says, a few billion megawatts. Virginia Power loves us. So I guess they have a high bill, right? Their power bill is probably through the roof. Yeah. So Scully asks exactly what happened. And Davy says that the work involved the bombardment of beta particles, negative against positive. Banton had everything set and had started the countdown when he realized he'd made a mistake and something needed readjusting in the target room. But apparently once the countdown starts, you can't stop it. So on a monitor, we can actually see a video of like where the target room is right as he's talking. Mm -hmm. So there was time to make the change before the countdown finished, but Davy had left the room and then Banton went in to fix it. But what Davy found out later was that when Banton went in, the door locked behind him. Oh, no. Oh, no. Even though he could have safely went in there and fixed it and then come out, he couldn't come out because the door locked. And Davy was probably off, like, getting coffee or something, not doing his job. And, oh, my gosh. So Davy types a code on the number pad by the target room, and the door opens for them inside. And on the inside, we can see, like, this silhouette of a person on the wall, like a like a shadow kind of basically on the floor and the wall and davy says as far as you can tell it burned a banton shadow right into the wall and scully asks how banton survived and davy suspects it's because the quantum particles in the target have virtually no mass and so they just slid right through his body and Mulder's like an x-ray and he's like two billion megawatt x-ray and then when Davy saw on the monitor that banton was trapped in the room he cut the power as soon as he could but it was too late and he remembered that Banton looked eerily calm, like he was finally getting the chance to experience the dark matter he theorized about in a physical way, like the truth would finally come to him. And then Davy kind of gets emotional. 
and he has to leave the room because yeah. it's a very painful time. So. <laughs> also, and also, like, it's his fault, pretty much. So, you know. Yeah, I mean, this sounds like a two-person experiment, although it's not really his fault that Benton went in there without someone to make sure the door didn't shut or something, yeah. but yeah if if no one's ever supposed to be in there why you need the door to lock from the inside or from the outside you don't really need it to lock at all do you i don't know i don't know it doesn't seem like this experiment was set up very well to be honest no (laughs) so davy is played by kevin mcnulty who played agent fuller in squeeze i would say i recognized him soon as he appeared i was like that's the dude he's one of colton's buddies in squeeze who makes fun of Mulder. oh yeah yeah they're all, they're all sitting around the table and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And he'll play Agent Fuller again in the upcoming episode Apocrypha. He'll also play Dr. Arnett in three episodes of Millennium. And he'll appear on one episode of The Lone Gunman. But as a different character. Yeah. 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 And other television credits include Stargate SG-1, Battlestar Galactica, and iZombie. So he's been in things. Yeah. But I as soon as he came in, I was like, oh my God, he's one of the dudes from Squeeze. I can't yeah. remember what his name was, but I was like, I knew he was one of like Colton's buddies. Yeah. So, yeah. Colton He's got that kind of nice. face. Like he'd be making fun of people. Yeah, he does. Yeah. Um, but I am. Con- so, so he says that I just maybe maybe I'm just making assumptions because I mean, it's kind of a little bit like Watchmen, like when Dr. Manhattan gets created, like he gets evaporated by the stuff and like there's just like nothing there and then he like reappears later so like when the, it was like the shadow on the wall i kind of assumed that like it obliterated banton and that was all that was left but then davy is saying like oh and then he was just standing there serene and yeah. whatever and i'm like well then what happened like what like how did he, like he just i guess he just went home and disappeared yeah i think what, they what? let him out <laughs> okay yeah and he went home yeah because he couldn't have been obliterated because we've seen him so we know he's yeah. walking around well i know but i mean like maybe he like reappeared like re, you know like he reconstituted oh i see gotcha from, like, okay you know, or something because yeah was like, no, no he... he was there but then like he doesn't know like oh he's i didn't know where he was he's like just i haven't seen him for five weeks so i guess he just never i i was kind of like like what happened like the dude got like blasted by like this super radiation and then you guys were just like okay well, i'll see you tomorrow bye dude yeah, I don't know if they tried to get him to go to the hospital. Maybe they did take him to the hospital. And he like wandered away from the hospital, or maybe he just wandered away from home. Or it was just it was like a double layer of confusion of like, why wouldn't you do something after that happened? And then also, yeah. I was thinking like he had been obliterated, and then because the shadow, like it was like a burned image, right? Like I'm like you know, like right. an atom bomb. There's those you know those like iconic things of like the, the yeah. shadows of people being burned into the wall. Yep, like, I have yeah. had nightmares about those. So yeah. yeah. So also, this is very heavy, like comic book hulk origin where like there's the countdown and something's going wrong and if we got to fix it so i'm gonna and he's dr banton banner banton anyway it's like there's just no like rick jones inside like getting caught in the blast but anyway and also like a walmart size super collider right come on i get it though they need something at least they actually said it was super collider not just like he was like shooting beams from some little thing in the room so yeah but I mean, well, I guess actually it is in the room though, because he was caught in the blast. Like the super collider isn't like underneath the bill. I don't, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I'm not really sure what this. Maybe they don't know how super colliders work, but yeah. I would not be surprised. Yeah, yeah. So Mulder asks Scully what she thinks, and she notes that the substance on the wall looks similar to the scorch marks at the crime scenes. So maybe it is a case of spontaneous human combustion, but Mulder doesn't think so anymore. And so Scully asks what he thinks. And he doesn't really know. 
And we see that Davy's like watching them on the monitor, so he can like. They, I don't think they realize it, but he can like hear what they're saying. Yeah. And Mulder says, "Whatever it is, it's connected to Chester Banton in some way." And Scully says, "In that case, we need to find him." And Mulder says, "He knows one place to start looking." Dun, dun, dun. So they kind of actually get to do the like step aside and talk, where the person can still hear you, except for this one is like electronically. This one, yeah. the, the guy walked away, but then he can still hear them talk. So yeah important to be consistent yeah yeah so at the train station Mulder's sitting on a bench and studying the floor and scully approaches and she says that there's no sign of banton there maybe he's moved on and Mulder's like waving his hand over the floor and scully asks what he's doing and Mulder says on the surveillance tape banton kept staring at the floor and he's basically trying to figure out what banton was looking at and Scully says, well, maybe the exposure in the lab affected his mental state. I mean, he's been through a huge thing. And she called Ryan, who's having the prints on the light bulb checked against Banton. And Mulder gets up and he keeps checking like the lights up like overhead and then the floor. And then he points out that there are hardly any shadows being cast in the space because the light is soft light. So it's diffused. Maybe that's what Banton was looking for. So then Banton enters the train station while they're talking and Mulder turns and sees him and they just kind of have this moment where they look at each other and then Mulder calls his name and Banton breaks into a run and Mulder and Scully chase him out onto the train platform and Banton hops onto a train that's parked there and like he passes through it to like ditch them and then Mulder pops out in front of him because he's like gone around the train and he orders him to stop and he's got his gun drawn. And Banton turns and runs the other way, but Scully appears in his path and her gun's also drawn. So then Banton's like panicking and he checks the ground for his shadow. And then he says, please just leave me alone. And Mulder tells him that they're federal agents and Banton tells him to stay away. And Mulder approaches and he gets like inches from Banton's shadow. And Banton calls, wait, and Mulder stops. And Banton tells him it will kill him. It doesn't care who you are. And Mulder looks down at the shadow and kind of connects the dots and he shoots the light bulbs out overhead. And Banton just like is immediately relieved. Like his whole body sinks. And he just exclaims, thank God. Like finally people are listening to me. And then it's commercial. Yep. And what we didn't say is that not only does Mulder look at his feet and see the shadow, he looks back at Scully's feet because there's two lights that Boulder shoots out. And so Banton actually is casting two shadows. And Scully is about to step on Banton's shadow when Mulder shoots out the lights. So he saved her life. Nice. And she'll probably never know that. And she's probably going to be dismissive later. But that's okay. Aww, I don't think she will. Uh, no, but he totally saved her life. So. Yeah, they've saved each other's lives several times. Yeah, so nice. commercial time. We didn't get death, but we almost got death. We did. Scully just almost got obliterated. Aw. I think we can. I think we can now say that. I think they're being obliterated, right? They're being like. Yes. They're being dis. They're being like dis. Atomicized or. Yeah. If they're being sent to some other dimension, it's not a good dimension, and they're probably obliterated there. (laughs) That would be cool. That'd be cool if later, like all those people come back somehow. That would be sweet. Ooh, that'd be creepy. I mean, it probably won't happen, but I think because I think, I think the ash is like. Yeah, I think it's supposed to be that they're just obliterated and that ash is all that's left unfortunately all the other mass turns to energy which is the little blue flashy flashies that happen and then yeah and then they're gone 
Yeah. So then we're at Yaloff Psychiatric Hospital in Piedmont, Virginia. And Banton is in a cell that's super brightly lit. And so he's sitting on a bed. But it's brightly lit, like, whether it be soft light. I actually think it's just, a, like, it's, like, lit from all around, so there's no shadows. Like, it's, like, yeah. just continuous kind of thing. And Mulder and Scully look through the window in the door. And Mulder tells the doctor that he thought the orders were to keep this patient in the dark. The doctor says that Banton insisted on soft light. It was the only way they let him open the door. Which, honestly, does make sense. Because if you keep him in the dark, when people come in, light will shine into the room. Right. And, it'll that, will a and that will cast shadows, right? So Banton kind of, is on, he's, you know, he knows what's going on. So Mulder and Scully go in. And the door closes to the cell behind them. And we see a sign on it that says, all access restricted. Notify the duty nurse before entering this room. And I think the doctor actually, like, locks the door when he, like, closes yeah, like, does. the latch. Like, they're not getting out unless the doctor lets him out, I guess. So I don't know if that's great or not. But anyway, inside, Banton is smoking a cigarette with a shaky hand. Ooh, right? Because like killing people left and right basically with the shadow so banton says like they probably have no idea what it's like to even like live what he's doing right now he doesn't like live in a train station he's afraid to fall asleep because he does not know what is going to happen and scully asks if he believes the quantum bombardment in the lab altered him physically and he's like you could say that and Mulder wants banton to tell them how but banton's like even if i could you wouldn't understand and scully says it has something to do with dark matter and Banton says it has everything to do with dark matter. He says that his shadow isn't his. It's become like a black hole. It splits molecules into component atoms and unzips electrons and reduces matter to pure energy. Oh, so I was right. Look at me. Yeah. I'm super smart. Boop, 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 boop. Anyway, so Scully asks if that's how he killed Gail Ann Lambert. And Banton says it wasn't him. Gail Ann was his colleague. The night after the accident, he went to see her. He was just standing in the doorway looking right at her, and then she was gone. Mulder is like, you have no control over it? And Banton says, if I could control it, I wouldn't let it go around killing people. Come on, Mulder. Think about I know. It. Anyway, Come on, buddy. Yeah. Come on. He's like, all I can do is study it and try to divine its true nature before they do. And Mulder's like, they? And he's like, the government? Banton says they're after him, and when they find him, they're going to do the brain suck they've been dying to do. And Mulder's like, the brain suck. And he's like, for what purpose? And Banton says, to steal what's taken him years to accomplish. And he's like, and don't think they wouldn't kill to get it. And Mulder says that if they killed Banton, wouldn't his shadow just disappear? And apparently Mulder doesn't know how shadows work. But Banton's like, I don't know. And he tells Mulder that's why they have to get him out of here. Because if he dies... There could be nothing left to tether this thing. So it could like just start roaming free. Again, right. I don't think that's how shadows work, but again, I guess it's not really a, a normal shadow. So we right. don't know what's going on. They just he doesn't know what yeah. might happen. So yeah. I'm I'm wondering now. We were thinking that they were in Wisnecki's house, but maybe they were in Gail Ann's house because his description of what happened seems to match the scene they were in. No, it was because, Wisnecki's because there was a title card and because her oh, that's right, there tag was. was in the trash. That's right. It was huh. Wisnecki's luggage tag. Well, so, but clearly the same thing happened. So maybe he didn't quite figure out what happened with Gail Ann right away. And so he went to Wisnecki for whatever reason to get some kind of help. And then the same thing happened. And then that's when he realized, oh, crap. 
Like, okay, because like the description he says sounds like what the scene of that house was. Like he was at yeah. the house, right? And the yes. shadow from the light behind cast yeah. a shadow into the room and she's standing in the hallway and then the shadow hits her and zaps her. Yeah, but so I think not like well, why would he why would he go see the other person she just worked at a tobacco company i i don't think we ever get a reason for him going to see her there must have been a reason i don't think we ever get it though i wonder if that's just because then it seems like it ties the other dude who obviously was an accident yeah okay yeah. I, i'm just confused <laughs> i'm like how does how does the other one i'm I'm trying to figure out like we know why the dude died because that was just mm-hmm. an accident and we got and now we know how gail ann died because he was trying to talk to her. She was like the first one, right? Which is what he's saying at the hotel. He's like, Galen is dead. And he's trying to talk to someone named Morris. We don't even know who Morris is. Right. He's at the hotel for some reason. But yeah, so we don't, we know, we never find out why the other lady was killed and why he was at her house. No, we don't. Okay. All right. Okay. That's why I'm confused. Yeah. I'm like, okay. Yeah, All no, right. Yeah. It would have been okay. good if we'd gotten an explanation. I guess it just doesn't come up, but. Okay. That's why I was just confused. I immediately like because that description matched the house. I'm like, oh, it we're does. at the wrong house. But yeah. you're right. There is the little thing that says that that's the residence of Wisnecki. Yeah, so, and her luggage tag is in the trash. So. And, his, and her luggage tag, yeah, because then they, they, they can't find a connection to her because the other one works at where he worked, which makes sense. But okay, all right. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I wonder now if that was like. Though. I wish. I wonder if. Well, that was I, was I wonder out. if I. I I'm, here's what I'm guessing probably happened. Either either it's just a big plot hole, right? Or because that scene totally matches his description of what happened to his colleague. If that was like a script editing mistake, like maybe, oh, maybe. They had, maybe they had scripted both at one point and they had to cut it down to fit. Because we'll find out this is Vince Gilligan's first script for the show, right? And so maybe he wrote yes. something that was too long. They had to trim it down, make it fit, and then like the two scenes got like merged together somehow yeah i mean they and did so, do a lot of editing on this script because they had to cut yeah. some stuff so out, that's so. that that is very likely the case then they may have just he may have written both scenes and then they had to like they had to cut one just for time or whatever yeah, right or and just, they got him or just up. because like we don't need to repeat the whole thing twice right we could just right one well scene. maybe he went to one for help went to another for help finally figured it out but we don't need to see two of those well oh, i know but why would he matter. just go to some old lady who's like 66 and worked in the tobacco company for help that's what i'm trying to yeah i don't know I don't know if she was someone he knew. She's I mean, just some rando. Small town. So. Yeah, who knows? Yeah. Okay. We All right. Find out. I was confused, and I'm I'm not confused anymore. I <laughs> we don't we don't know why, right? There's a plot hole, but that that's that's different from right. being confused. Yeah, it just so doesn't ever. That's get just like okay, explained. we're not gonna we're not gonna find out. Cool. All right. So to get back to the scene, last thing he says, like you know, if I die who's going to know this thing could like just start roaming free, right? We, there's maybe nothing to tether this thing. And then the door opens and it's detective Ryan. And she tells them like, I'm going to have to ask you to just continue your interrogation of the suspect. So she's all like very formal and tells yeah. them they need to leave. And in the hall, we see why she's probably being very formal because she introduces them to detective Baron. And she says that he's now the primary on the case. So apparently she did not manage to hold on to it by herself, at least. And Baron asks what their involvement in the case is. And Mulder's like, we caught the guy. And Baron's like, well, who brought you in? No one recalls inviting the FBI on this case. And Scully says they were just interested in the unexplained nature of the case. And they're just there in an unofficial capacity. And Baron says Banton's prints were found at two of the crime scenes and transit authority tapes put him in the vicinity of two more. So he thinks this case is pretty much explained. And Mulder asks if he's even spoken to Dr. Banton. And Baron gets mad that Mulder's questioning him. And Mulder says that he should let Detective Ryan make the calls on this case. 
and Baron agrees that Ryan was doing a good job and she'll be allowed to help prosecute the case once the prisoner's transferred. And Mulder's like, transferred? Where? And Ryan tells him to the city jail in preparation for his arraignment. And Mulder says they don't fully appreciate the situation or the danger that Banton poses. And Baron insists that he doesn't need the FBI to tell him how to do his job. So Ryan says they'll call him if there's anything else they need. And then as they're like walking away, Mulder tells Ryan that Banton needs soft light. And he like repeats it twice. Mm -hmm. Soft. This is very important. Soft light. So Mulder and Scully head down the hall and Mulder tells Scully he hopes he knows what she's doing, putting Ryan's ambition ahead of the case. And Scully says that Ryan is just trying to survive the boys club and Scully knows how that is. And Mulder says that the difference is Scully never puts herself ahead of the work and that's what's happening here. And Scully's just like, we have no jurisdiction and we were called in as a favor. And Mulder's like, we just handed an A-bomb to the Boy Scouts. Scully thinks that proper precautions will be taken, but Mulder thinks that's absurd. Mulder thinks that Banton is justified in being terrified, but Scully thinks that Banton is kind of delusional because obviously like shadows don't kill. And Mulder points out that they've seen the physical evidence. And Scully says that it's not their job and she doesn't know what else they can do. And Mulder says he thinks he knows. I know what to do. And he leaves. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) So back at the train station, Mulder is standing near the departures and arrivals board. And X appears and kind of gives him a little like eyeball. And then, you know, that's the clue that Mulder should follow him. So Mulder goes down several flights of stairs and it's very dark and shadowy. Hopefully Banton isn't there or they're dead meat. Anyway, so in the stairwell, X says that all Mulder gave him was a name, Chester A. Banton. And then Mulder's like, Dr. Chester A. Banton. And X is like, I don't know him. And Mulder explains that he's being held by the Virginia PD in connection with several bizarre murders. And he's a physicist and he's researching dark matter. And he believes the government is out to get him. And X is like, it's tax season. All Americans believe we're out to get them. (laughs) Which is a great line. It's a great line. (laughs) And then X is like, well, where is he being held? And Mulder tells him in Yaloff Psychiatric Hospital, but not for long. And X is like, well, I can't help you. And Mulder's like, why not? And X says, the last time I helped you, I bloodied my knuckles and exposed my identity to some of your associates. And then Mulder assures X that he can trust Scully and Skinner. And X says he has nothing to gain and everything to lose by helping Mulder. Then he tells him to promise that he will not contact him again unless it is absolutely necessary. And then X leaves. And I like the call back to his bloodied knuckles in Endgame. Yeah, that was good. (laughs) Well, and also like... Just, I like the callback to how Endgame was like, he got kind of messed up because like Scully called him and he didn't expect anyone else to know. Yeah, he does say that he got messed up by helping Mulder, but that's because he thought he was trying to help Mulder. I mean, it was really Scully. Scully's the one who called him. And then he was like, right. yeah. oh, and then had to leave. He Scully um, called him but, and he realized that it was not yeah. Mulder who called him and then left yeah. and then Skinner beat him up to try and get info so mm-hmm. <laughs> sure that wasn't yeah. a fun time for x although probably no. not for skinner either no <laughs> well he bloodied his knuckles and skinner had some blood on him too so i think x gave as good as he got but i think he finally decided just to give it up yeah i think so yeah also he may have been like well i'll help because you know Mulder, i'll help him so yeah help eventually he might have just realized you know what screw it 
Yep. So light flickers in the hall where Banton's being kept. And a nurse is at the nurse's station and she's doing work and then the lights go out. So she calls down to the floor below to ask if their lights are on because she's like, well, our lights just went out. Do you guys still have power? But she doesn't even finish her sentence. Fingers press the receiver and hang up the phone. And X is there and he flashes a light in her face and he tells her that they're there to transfer Banton. And the nurse says her orders say that Banton isn't being transferred until the morning. And X says due to the power outage, there's been a change of plans. So he takes the keys and heads down the hall. And the nurse is like, no one's supposed to go in there. And he just like ignores her. (laughs) And the nurse is played by Donna Yamamoto, who will appear in one more episode of The X-Files. She's also appeared on Fringe, Eureka, The 100, among others. She's been in a lot of shows. And she played an oncologist in Deadpool. So if she looks familiar, that might be why. So EMTs walk with X down the hall and they're like wheeling a gurney. And the EMTs go into the room while X waits in the hall. And Banton is like begging them not to do this. And then they tape his mouth shut. And they zip tie his wrists and they stand him up. And then a light comes on in the hall and the light pops on in Banton's cell or one of the lights, not all the lights. And the men scream. So X looks in the cell and he sees Banton and two scorch marks on the floor. And X just stares at him. And Banton steps forward and his shadow moves toward X. And X like backs away around the side of the wall and he like draws his gun. And Banton exits the cell and he pulls the tape from his mouth. And they kind of stare at each other for a minute. And then X lowers his gun and Banton runs away down the hall. Yep. And then it's commercial. We got two deaths. Yeah. Yeah. Two for one, right there. Well, I guess we technically didn't get a death the last commercial, so you know they made up for it. So I was confused about like if the lights in his cell are supposed to like be diffusive, soft light, and not cast shadows. Like, how does that one cast light? But then it's it's not all the lights that were keeping the shadows away because, like you said, it might have just been because they were coming from all directions. There was no way for a shadow to cast, or like you put in your note, it might be an emergency light of some kind that like came on and then cast a shadow. And I think it. I think it. Is, I think the emergency lights are the answer because later we're gonna find out what actually happened to the lights, and so emergency lighting would make sense because okay. it is like a say check at hospital, so they would have backups in case there's a power outage. So that does make sense. So yes, yeah, yeah that makes sense. Okay, because at first I was like, wait, I don't understand, but like, I don't understand a lot of things. I'm not a scientist, and this isn't real no. science anyway. So yeah. sometimes, it just doesn't and I'm not really sense. sure how much that whole like. <laughs> soft light diffuse bulbs really i mean it still makes a shadow i think what what helps with the shadows is when you just have that like 360 lighting right so it's nice and even and so like all the shadows kind of cancel each other out kind of action i think that's more of the issue but i mean i don't know again i'm not like a luminologist or whatever they call light bulb people so that sounds like a good name (laughs) though luminologist luminologist sounds like yeah it sounds like a cool job Anyway, so we come back from the commercial and Mulder is at the hospital and the door to Banton cell is open and Ryan comes out and she gives him a look and then hurries past him. And Scully is in Banton's room and the scorch marks are still there on the floor. And Scully tells him Virginia PD had people watching both entrances and didn't see anyone come into the hospital. And Mulder says, according to the nurse, there were three men 
and Scully says the power was disconnected at a substation two blocks from the hospital by someone posing as a city engineer. And Mulder says such a person would have to have plans to the power substation to know like what power to cut, right? So you don't only cut it in the hospital. Right. So Scully asks if he's suggesting it was someone from the government. Of course he is, right? But Mulder says just because you're paranoid doesn't mean they're not out to get you, right? Uh-huh. And he doesn't think that they got Dr. Banton, though. He thinks that Banton is still on the loose. And then Scully tells him that Ryan is upset because she was supposed to oversee his transfer and his arraignment. And now he's gone, right? So that doesn't look good. And Mulder's like, well, maybe it was an appointment he was not meant to keep. So the backup lighting does make more sense because, like, the power was completely yeah. cut, like, at the substation. So the building probably had, like, the backup generators. Yes. And so that makes more sense. Yeah. Yeah. So Mulder tells Scully, he's like, let's go. And she's like, where? And Mulder says, put yourself in Banton's shoes. He's basically told them he hasn't killed himself because he didn't know if it will unleash the shadow. All he's been trying to do since the accident is control this thing. So if he's escaped, he's going to go to the one place he thinks where he might be able to find out what's going on. Yep. Dun, dun, dun. So at Polarity Magnetics... The lab is dark and we see like red machines are beeping and then the door opens and Davy reaches for the light switch and Benton grabs him and he tells him not to turn on the light and Davy asks what's happening and where he's been and as they head down the hall Benton tells Davy that he found the dark matter and it's in him. They need to destroy it before the government gets their hands on it. And then Ryan appears in the hall in front of them and she's got her gun drawn and she tells them to freeze. And she tells Banton that she's placing him under arrest. And Banton tells her that a lot of people will die if she does this. And she orders him to stand against the wall. And Banton's like, I'm begging you. I don't want to hurt you. And she repeats the order. And Banton looks down and he sees that his shadow is actually like being cast toward her. And then he's like, I'm sorry. And he walks toward her. And when his shadow hits her, she just, you know, slips through and is obliterated like everyone else. Mm, and Davy mm, is completely mm. stunned. He's like, yeah. <laughs> whoa. Like, I mean, his, his expression is pretty good, actually. No, He's that like, I was, I actually forgot to put that in my notes. But yeah, his expression is like, it's fantastic. It is great. Yeah. yeah I mean, to me, yeah, what would you think in that situation? <laughs> well, it's on his face. Yeah. So Benton's like, okay, we need to go. We don't have much time because obviously, if the cop found him, other people are going to be on the trail real quick. Yeah. So. So, so I had originally put in my notes this was for the best because she probably she probably was actually going to be that good of a cop. I mean, not that there are good cops, including FBI agents, but then I just she actually did figure out where he went. Yeah. So I mean, it was his like former workplace, but she was able to piece that together. So yeah. not too bad. I think yeah. with time, she would have gotten really good, and it would have been nice for her to have. Like, we could have had future episodes where she calls Mulder and Scully in on stuff that maybe they wouldn't necessarily work under FBI jurisdiction, but RIP, RIP. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's not the end of the world. They I'm can not get sure. called in by other cops. Yeah, I mean, they do they all will. the time. So yeah, yeah, so I guess it doesn't matter that much. I, I, just, I like the idea of recurring characters, and I thought it was sweet that, like, Scully was kind of, like, big sister to her. I don't know. It seems sweet. Yeah, but they, I mean, she wasn't the greatest of the possible recurring characters we could have had. 
That's so. true. No, that yeah. is. Look, no one is going to be greater than the deadpan medical examiner. So. No, or fire freak Beatty. Mm-hmm. I know he would also be. Or amazing. Agent Henderson, handwriting analysis. With her crush on Mulder. Yeah, and then yeah. Doctor, uh, what's what, what's the doctor's name from Jersey Devil? Oh, oh my God! Yeah, he was good. Yeah. I can't remember his name. Yeah, he was good though. Yeah. So in the lab, Banton opens the target room, and Banton tells him that no matter what they say to him later, that Davy is doing the right thing. And then he closes the door, and he tells Davy to lock it up, which Davy does. And then he tells him to get the accelerator online. And Davy's like, no. And then they have some discussion back and forth through the little porthole in the door. And Banton realizes that Davy is working for them. And Davy confirms this. And Banton curses. And he says, I'll die before I'll let them use me. And Davy says, hey, you're lightning in a bottle. Just be careful. Don't be hitting the door, man. And I want you to hurt yourself before we get a chance to find all the secrets from you. You're awesome. And the, <laughs> he's like, they're not going to let you die. So, I mean, yeah. we knew that was going to happen, right? I mean, I think. I think that Davy seemed sketchy the first time yeah. we met him. And so I wasn't yeah. surprised. Like, I didn't necessarily yeah. see that coming. But it also didn't, like, shock me to learn that yeah. he's working I kind for of, the... I mean, I didn't know where it was going to go. But I knew <laughs> at some point he was going to be, like, you know... Yeah. Yeah. He seemed so. sketch, like, immediately. Like, he, yeah. he just didn't seem yeah. like he was on our side. So then so. Davy picks up the phone because he's going to call his people, right? Hey, I got him. And on the monitor, we see Banton is begging for him not to do this. And Davy is talking on the phone. We got him. And he's not going anywhere. And Banton's like, you're making a terrible mistake. And then we hear this. And Davy slumps onto the desk because he just got assassinated. He is dead. And Banton is like trying to see what's going on through the porthole. And then X appears in the porthole and looks at him. (laughs) And they just like look at each other. Banton backs away. So that I did not see coming. That was freaking (laughs) awesome. So... Yeah, I didn't see that coming either. Like, I figured X, like, obviously he was up to something trying to get bitten out, but it does, uh, yeah, I didn't see that coming. So that was cool. So Mulder and Scully run up the stairs of Polarity Magnetics. And as they run, like, there's this window that overlooks the parking lot and Scully sees Ryan's car. So she tells Mulder that they're not the first ones there. And then Scully spots the scorch mark in the hall. And they go over to examine it. And then, like, a noise starts, like, maybe a machine is turning on. So Scully asks what the noise is and Mulder says it's an accelerator and like so he runs for the lab. Yeah, it's all like it's gearing up. Fire them particles. So there's a bright blinking light in the target room and like a bunch of other blinking lights all around as there are when there's big machines on TV and Mulder tries to see what's going on through the little window and Scully goes over to the monitor and calls him over. And inside, we can see that Banton is unconscious on a chair. And then Banton disappears, and a shadow image of him on the chair, like, appears next to the first shadow silhouette. because the chair disappears, too. Right, like it was obliterated in some way. So the accelerator stops, and they both run to the window, and they see the new shadow on the wall. And Scully says, he must have killed Ryan and then himself. But Mulder notes that the target room was sealed from the outside. And Scully's like, by who? Yeah. And they can't open the door, obviously, because they don't know the code to get in. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. 
I honestly, because this is X Files, right? And you know how I mean, maybe it's because it's a different writer, so this is kind of good. And we can talk about this again later when we talk about the pin thing. But like, I'm pretty sure if Chris Carter had wrote this, her badge would have like fallen off at some point, so it would be lain by the scorch mark, so Scully would know that it's right. Her. So they didn't do that. So I'm kind of glad they didn't do that. Yeah, I mean, I think her car's there and she's not, and there's a scorch yeah. mark. They can they can put yeah. it together. But I'm pretty I'm pretty sure if this had been written by like you know yeah, it would have been any like of our regular cast of writers, it would have been yeah. like. Over our head. Morgan and Wong would have had her hair on the scorch mark so you could see <laughs> it and make <laughs> Yeah, something. So we are back under the construction stadium where we first met X. Woo! And Mulder is surprise, surprise, meeting with X here. And X is like, I told you not to contact me about this case anymore. And Mulder's like, You lied to me. Like you knew all about Banton and you used me to find him. And X points out, it's like, excuse me, you're the one who contacted me and gave me his name. And he says that Mulder seems confused about who exercises the control in their arrangement. And Mulder says that X killed Banton and a nurse at the hospital has identified him and that a young detective is dead. And Mulder's like, who do you answer to? And X tells him, despite his loyalty to his predecessor, meaning Deep Throat, that he has never made Mulder any promises. And Mulder's like, yeah, well, promise me something right now. This will be our last meeting. We're finished. And then Mulder walks away. And X tells him that he's choosing a dangerous time to go it alone. And Mulder just keeps on walking. And then X calls his name. He's like, Mulder. And Mulder turns around. And X says, I didn't kill him. And then he turns around and leaves. So I was so happy we saw the stadium again, even though we don't know where it is because we don't we don't they don't mention idea. it this time either i double checked i was like maybe they'll mention it this time they don't they tell us where the train station is in north vancouver but we don't know where the stadium is so they're apparently <laughs> taking their time building this thing though because that was like an yeah. episode what three right sleepless is when we first meet x yeah so, i guess it's good for us though because we get to use it again but yeah, yeah exactly because it's a location yeah. i may can... have to do some outside research and find out when this thing was built and where it is because this is driving me crazy (laughs) but i do have a question though did x lie to Mulder? maybe he was doing exactly what Mulder asked him to do because Mulder asked him to get him out of the psychiatric hospital he did yeah and that's what they were trying to do um whether they were trying to do it to help Mulder or for some other nefarious reason we don't know but hmm, yeah we'll find out yeah maybe we will yeah. So at Ryan's funeral service, we see a line of cops standing next to the grave and the service ends and the crowd breaks up. And so Scully bends down near the headstone and the headstone reads Kelly Ryan, 1965 to 1995. And then Scully stands and she joins Mulder, who's over by the car. So he's kind of like hanging back and Mulder asks how she's doing. And she says she doesn't know how to feel about this. Ryan was her student and came to her for help. This shouldn't have happened. And Mulder then apologizes for being late to the funeral. He got hung up at Richmond PD. And Scully asked what he was doing there. So Mulder says a missing persons report was filed this morning by a man named Morris West, a physicist who worked at Polarity Magnetics. There's our Morris that he was trying to talk to in the hotel. Yeah, so who knows what Morris was doing in the hotel, but... Well, at least now we know who Morris is. He wasn't like the cat, so... (laughs) And the missing person he filed the report on is Dr. Christopher Davey, who hasn't been seen or heard from since Banton disappeared. And Scully asks if they have any leads. And they don't, but Mulder does. 
he's been wondering if it wasn't Banton they saw in the particle accelerator. <gasps> and Scully asks, if Banton isn't dead, where is he? And we kind of can't tell because like, he's like slumped in the chair, right? You don't see his face. And we only see it on the monitor, which is kind of grainy. Hmm. Yeah, because yeah, we don't really wasn't... get a good look at him at all. No, maybe it wasn't Banton. I'm glad at least we know who Morris is now. That's good. Yeah, I thought that was we, good. We still don't know why that other lady died, but... No, I don't think we ever will. Oh. It'll be a mystery for the ages. Poor Miss Wisnecki. I mean, Wisnecki. Wisnecki. I mean, <laughs> I mean, with a name like that, I'm not... Yeah, I don't know. Should have made it something easier for me to say. So we cut to a scene of someone walking down a hall. And it's in shadow. We can't really tell who it is at first. But then we realize it's X. He's coming down a hall. And he joins a man in a lab coat who's standing at a window has a pulsing light coming from it. And the man in the coat says that Dr. Davy would have been helpful right now. But then he's like, we'll be studying this man for a long time. And then we look inside the room and there's this shadow on the wall. And then we see it's being cast onto a board that looks like it's, I don't know, like got maybe some sensors or something on it. I don't know. And it's cast by Banton. And he's hooked up to a bunch of wires with some kind of monitor band around his head. And then a single tear runs down his face because he's super sad about littering. And we end. Just so much litter on the highway. Yeah. A single <laughs> tear runs down his face because he realizes that it's happened. The very thing he was afraid of, right? He's now a government project. Yep. And he has no control over his life and nothing. He's just stuck in this room. Yep. With his shadow being cast onto what looks like bubble wrap, to be honest. It's kind of weird. Yeah, but I'm, I'm sure, sure it's, it's something that's like measuring the, I don't know, dark matter in his shadow. Yep. Yep, sad. It's sad. Don't litter. <laughs> I think he's more sad about having his autonomy taken away and being locked in a cell to be a lab rat, basically, but... So I guess, so I guess X was lying, but also he wasn't lying because yeah. he didn't kill him, right? So he I didn't mean, kill him. I kind of like it that he's kind of, yeah. 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 So X was actually brought into this episode later because he didn't appear in the first draft. And then they kind of decided that Banton's fear of having his brain sucked out by the government should be more than paranoia. And so they decided that X was a good choice for that. And that allowed them to give X some more dimension and also kind of show that he has goals and motivations outside of helping Mulder. And that just because he's willing to meet with Mulder doesn't mean he's always going to do the right thing for Mulder or what Mulder wants him to do. Yeah, although Mulder is one thing to do with him now. So, yeah. Which is kind of, I don't know, it's kind of abrupt for Mulder. Well, yeah, I mean, I think, honestly, I don't know. Yeah. I don't feel like he's the kind of person who will hold a grudge. I feel like he'll call X the next time he needs help. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Who knows? Yeah, I, yeah. I, I wonder now, though, like, how did the episode end if X wasn't involved? Yeah, like, was I don't the, know. Was the ending completely different? Did he still end up as, like, a lab rat somewhere, but it what, did it involve X? I'm curious. Well, it sounds like the thing about the government actually being after him came in later, so it probably wasn't with him oh, being a lab okay. rat. So then, but I don't yeah, know for so, sure. Hmm. I haven't seen the first draft, so I don't know. I do know that early drafts of the script also had Banton's shadow moving around independently, um, but that caused too many problems both for the story and for shooting, because obviously if the shadow can move anywhere, there's no way to control it, but then also for shooting it, it's going to be really crazy to get that effect. So they decided that they would change it and decided that was a good call. Hmm. 
I mean, plus that Shikamaru's gig. So yeah, um, yeah, the laziest ninja, my favorite of the Naruto series. <laughs> by the way. So I don't like that weird goatee thing he gets later, like in Naruto Baruto. But yeah, I'm more of a like first series guy anyway. So. This episode makes me really excited for future episodes from Vince Gilligan. Obviously, this is his first episode. He will write a total of 29 X-Files episodes, and he's listed as a creator and executive producer on The Lone Gunman as well, and he wrote six episodes of that. So that's exciting. Which is um, almost half of them, sadly, because there's only 13 episodes yeah. of The Lone Gunman. So. But I'm excited to see what else he does for X-Files. And he also was like, he was a creator of Breaking Bad. Which he's I the creator of Breaking Bad. He's the Bad. creator of Breaking Bad. Yeah, yeah I haven't the... seen it, so I don't know. But And he's also created Better Call Saul, and I haven't seen that either. So. Which is the spinoff of Breaking Bad. So Okay, so he didn't even yeah. know that they were related. Couldn't have nope, told yeah. you that they were connected shows. No, and actually the, like the star of Better Call Saul has recently said that I guess I guess Better Call Saul actually at this point maybe has more episodes than Breaking Bad has, and so it's actually <laughs> becoming like the show, and Breaking Bad has become like the sideshow, as opposed to it being the other way around. Like because I'm like you know <laughs> the student has become the master kind of action. Or something. Yeah, that's funny. Uh, so so going back to our pin about like squeeze, mm-hmm. and then we mentioned some other stuff about like how the episode was written. I think one reason why we do get the reference to squeeze is because Vince Gilligan was apparently a fan of the show, which is why he submitted a script to Chris Carter and mm-hmm. they accepted it. So as a fan, he's kind of like us, right? He's watching it and going like, Oh, of course I'm going to reference stuff from episodes that I like. Right. Right. I think that's probably why we do get the reference. Cause we're actually getting that kind of like, like we talk about all the time, like as a viewer, you're like, you just did that like three episodes ago why are you not talking about it and so you know we get yeah. those references to the past so that i think that's what i'm not saying that is why but i think that's probably a very good explanation of why that actually happens because this is really the I first so. time that kind of thing has happened and we're getting someone who is a fan of the show writing as opposed to someone who's just like been there the whole time yeah and i think that that bodes well again for his like future episodes because i think honestly they kind of need that kind of they need someone to come in from the outside and go, this is what's worked about the show. This is what people love about it. This is what we need to do more of. And maybe lay off the salamander hands. <laughs> like, yeah. We can do kind of less of that and maybe do more of this other stuff. And so I don't know. I mean, I haven't, I don't remember what episodes he's written. And obviously I haven't seen them in a very long time. So I don't Yeah, know. he apparently comes big in season four. Yeah. I but I mean, he was around really... on the writing staff during Humbug, we know. So he's he's in the room, right. at least. We don't know how much he's yeah. actually getting assigned. Well, he, I, I think he actually becomes a staff, right? Like a full-on, like full-time writer in season four. So okay, he's still cool. like he's still like freelancer at this point. Okay. It's like he's submitting stuff. So he's apparently not everyone does, but you got to put in your time before you get producer credit or whatever. Yeah. So, <laughs> oh, I'm sure to see he'll he was get already it eventually. A producer or not, so I've kind of just become blind to the whole produced by... <laughs> Because everyone is producer. Pretty much. So. I mean, I'm pretty sure Tony Chaloub is now a producer of the X-Files. <laughs> He's been on period. the show. You're a producer. <laughs> oh, God. I, and I feel like he was cast perfectly as Banton because, like, he does have that, like, what's the word? He just has that way of feeling, like, a little bit unhinged and a little, like, out of control. He's got I that. Mean, well, this this kind of maybe goes to the whole monk thing, right? He's got that. He, he can do anxiety. 
he can, he can do anxiety very yeah. well. And as someone, and I understand like there are people with anxiety and OCD who hate Monk because they think this makes everyone think that we're like this. And he literally has every single symptom of anxiety or OCD or any kind of disorder like that, that you can have, which is obviously completely over the top. Um, as someone with anxiety and OCD, I personally love it. I understand why people might not. I enjoy it because like to me, makes me feel kind of seen. Obviously I don't share all his things and I'm not very germ phobic and like other things, but like, it's nice to see someone overcome those kind of anxieties or tics or like, you know, OCD can make you do, it can just, it can mess with you so hard. Like sometimes I spend 15 minutes parking my car because like, I have ice cream melting in the car, but like if I don't get it parked perfectly with enough it's space on this side and enough, it's not even about being straight necessarily. It's like, if it's oh. too close to the car on this side, then it's going to get hit by the car on this side when they open their door. And if it's too close to the car on the other side, so I have to be right in the, in the spot in the right way. And like, just stuff like that, that just can totally mess with you. And I don't know. It's, it's good to see someone overcome those things to like solve murders and be a functional member of society. <laughs> and one thing we know about Monk is that before his wife died, he was like a detective and like he still had those things, but like was, you know, able to work around them and, you know, in treatment or, you know, taking medication or something. And then the trauma just caused those things to kind of explode for him. And so I don't know. Mm -hmm. I love it. I understand why it can be problematic and why people might also not like it for those reasons and that's totally so, so fair the premise of the show i mean well not the premise of the show but like the like the origin story i guess of the show the premise of the a, show is yeah. almost a little bit of like the fisher king kind of thing where like the wife know. is killed and that kind of you've never seen the wish of the fisher king with robin Williams no and jeff bridges oh so yeah the premise is that he he had anxiety obviously he's had anxiety his whole life but like once his wife is murdered and they can't solve it, like he just goes into a spiral. He gets his badge taken away. He can't work for the police department anymore. But after like a couple of years, he's been in therapy and he consults for the police. And his goal is oh. to get back to the point where he can get his badge back. But he has to like hit a certain level of like your anxieties and stuff are not interfering with the job kind of thing and so he goes through therapy and stuff like that to try and and he does as the show goes on like he does improve a lot and then sometimes he backslides and like it's like seven seasons or something but like i don't know i enjoy it it, make, it makes me happy it's and a lot of the murders are stupid and easy to solve sometimes you even see the murderer right away so you already know but it's, it's just a fun if you like those like solve a murder in an episode type shows it's a fun one. That was it was created back at the time that USA was doing their like characters welcome type thing, and like it was created around the same time as Psych and that kind of mm. thing. I think in Burn Notice, but yeah, and uh, Tony Shalhoub is just—he's a very good actor, and he's very good at playing like anxious or stressed out. And so I think for Banton, well, you would think, I mean, I've never <laughs> seen the show. Honestly, I've never seen a single episode. I mean, I know the show, I yeah, think, but I've never seen it. I would think that some of his actual like things that he has to deal with would actually help you because you're able to see like when things are not the way they should be like right. if you have like OCD you're like well like it's not my house but like why is this thing slightly not in the place it should be and then you're like oh I mean that I don't know if I ever played in the role but I could see where that could be of help yeah 
you just see the things that maybe other people don't notice right yeah well because if you're so. anxious like stuff might bother you that might not bother other people because you're always mm-hmm. thinking about like not that anxiety is not a superpower it has caused me lots of problems in my life i'm not saying it is a superpower i know there's that horrible trope that mental illness is a superpower and i'm not saying that but i am saying that as someone with anxiety you might not because you you think all the time about how everything could go wrong and like the other thing is like Antonio Scarpacci, the cab driver, was always a little bit anxious and kind of like stressed out. And he was usually stressed about money and stuff, which is very fair. But like he also had that kind of like nervous energy, I feel like. And so I think Tony Shalhoub was just very good at portraying that. And come to think of it, his role in Galaxy Quest is also a very nervous character. So he's just really good at that. And, you know, he rocks it and he does it in this episode, too. I think he does a good job. Okay. Nervous Nelly Shalhoub. Well, I have a feeling that your love for Tony Shalhoub is going to affect your rating of this episode. I could be wrong. It will. It's bumping it up by one point. So based on the episode alone, uh-huh. I would probably give this an eight. Okay. Because I think it's a very, very, very solid episode. I think it's entertaining. I like the callback to Squeeze. I like Mulder and Scully's dynamic in this episode. I think they work really well together. I like, I like the way Scully like appreciates Ryan. And like, I like how she tells Mulder, like, you know, it's hard for women. Like it's a boys club kind of sucks. And I just, I like the plot too. Like if the plot is weird, it's weird. It doesn't make a lot of sense, but it works for me. Like, I don't care. Like, obviously the science is very fictional, but it's a science fiction show. I don't care. I think it's fun. I think the idea of the shadow is kind of, it's creepy. Like it creeps me out. And the end is just, it's so like, it sucks and it's like heartbreaking, but it's also like, it just makes so much sense. And I love X. So I think this episode is great. It's a total eight, but then Tony Shalhoub just like bumps it up an extra point. So I think this is going to be my first nine of season two. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I loved this episode. This episode made me so happy. And when I first watched it, I watched it a couple of weeks ago and I could not wait to talk about it. And then we had all these episodes to get through before we got to it. And I was like, darn it. I want to talk about it. So I'm like, so good. Anyway, but <laughs> I really love it. I kind of suspect you're probably not going to rate it as high. And that is also fair. Well, rating it as high as a nine. <laughs> I mean, that would be, that would be, wow. That would be something it's else. It's my but, favorite episode of this season. Because the only, I, I mean, I technically didn't rate any episode of nine this season. Um, I did go back and retroactively change Dwayne Barry to a nine. So I I do have a nine. Um, I also have, I think I have like two eights. Yeah, I have two eights as well. So, but I think so. I don't like Scully in this episode. I think she's just, she might might appreciate Kelly, but she definitely doesn't appreciate Mulder. Aww. But I'm going to try to do that thing where I'm going to try and distance myself from that and think about the episode as a whole. I mean, I'm just a misogynist, right? I don't like Scully. I don't no, like I don't think Ryan. that's it. I so, mean, you just have a different read on her because like, I don't see that, but that doesn't mean that like you seeing it isn't there. It's just not a read that I got. But I also come from a place of like loving Mulder and Scully together. I have a lot more history of seeing them on screen together for seasons and seasons and so i just don't get that impression but that doesn't mean that it can't come off that way clearly it does come yeah. off that way well, i think we discussed this a little bit in Dwayne Barry. actually i grew up with a female parent who was super passive aggressive 
Mm, yeah, I think and so I'm super that. hypersensitive to that kind of stuff. Right. So, yeah. So a lot of that is probably like just me like reacting to that as well. And so I do pick up on all of that stuff, whether it's intentional or not. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So, but we won't get into that again. We don't need to. <laughs> so, but I think I'm going to give this a seven. Oh, wow. Nice. Yeah. It was pretty good. I liked it. I don't... I might, this might actually might get bumped to an eight. I might have to think we've only got two more episodes to go this season <laughs> and then we're going to have to do like our final tallies. Right. So, but yeah, I'll, I'll have to see, I'll have to think about it and look back at what I did. Cause I think, but no, only one of my episodes that are an eight started as an eight. The other oh, one nice. also was a seven and got bumped up to an eight. So I'll have to compare it and see like what made me decide what to do and, so yeah. maybe this goes up to an eight as well it, it could it could possibly i like it um the x stuff worked out really well this one had a kind of that rolling vibe to it mm-hmm. maybe just because like mm-hmm. the locking door right and mm-hmm. thing and that kind of thing yeah um the x stuff was good this was weird so in the monster of the week book that i've complained about how they like are total just like gushy gushy all the time strangely not gushy gushy about this episode like the first line of their essay on this one is like, well, the teaser is novel at least. And then they just kind of go in and talk about how they don't like the episode very much. And, and then they, they like the end, but they don't really like the middle and they don't think it's a great episode. And I'm like, really? Like, of all, like, oh, do they get special edits of episodes that we don't get? Cause like they gush about episodes that, I mean, I guess it's different tastes, right? But there are episodes they gush about that I'm like, did we watch the same episode? This episode's not good. And then one that I'm like, this is actually pretty good. They're like, oh, oh yeah, this one was kind of like, uh, I mean, I can see why it's his first script because it's obvious and he'll at least he'll get better. And I'm like, okay, weird well, flex on the episode. Gushy, gushy book, but okay. So yeah, it's just strange. So in that case, they're dead to me. I no, guess I'm I just kidding. don't get, I think I just don't get the X-Files the way everyone who loves the X-Files gets the X-Files. So I think maybe, maybe I just treat it as maybe I just think of it as like a show and like I want a good story. And of course, like I'm down for all the paranormal stuff. Right. But the show, I mean, we've kind of discussed this a little bit. The show really isn't about the paranormal stuff. It's something else. But yeah, so. it's it tends to be more about the government conspiracy and then obviously Mulder and Scully's relationship and their personal growth. Yeah. And it is pretty much a procedural. I mean, it is a police procedural. Yeah. Just yeah, with, it's like, just supernatural yeah procedural unlike supernatural which is also i would say don't go compare to supernatural we might get in trouble i mean there are similar or premise, not although there's less know. government conspiracy going on in supernatural as far as i know again i only saw like the first six seasons in the musical episodes i'm gonna have to watch some because super what supernatural sounds like to me is it sounds like friday the 13th the series it's basically two brothers who their father was a demon hunter and they end up on the road together hunting demons. Okay, so here's the premise of Friday the 13th, the series, which is not going to be anything what you would expect from the title Friday the 13th, the <laughs> series, right? So it's two cousins who have to go around collecting demonic artifacts because their uncle was an antiques collector and he made a pact with the devil. Huh. And so they have to go around collecting all these artifacts. And so every episode is like one artifact they have to go and collect. And like someone is using the artifact for like nefarious purposes. Cause like, you know, if they kill people, then it gives them special powers or something like that. Right. 
Okay. It's not the same, but it's not dissimilar. Like, I'm sure yeah. they could have an episode that it's, they could probably have several episodes that are probably almost exactly that premise. So. Yeah. Just like the idea of like two guys off hunting stuff. It kind of, it, in my head, it was yeah. like, oh, that sounds kind of like Friday the 13th series. I mean, it's not two guys. It's a guy and a girl. Right. But. Very similar though. Yeah. Whereas this is two FBI agents hunting aliens. Well, enough about that. Yeah, let's see. So we did. So we let's see. So we (laughs) talked about the X Files, and we did our ratings. I think we're done. I think that's it. Yeah. So I'm gonna have to look at my ratings. This so far has been my highest rated. I think it's my favorite, but I'm gonna have to really sit with myself and think: Is it my favorite? Because it's my favorite. Is it my favorite? Because Tony Shalhoub is amazing, and I love him. I could watch him do anything. Like I just really could. But I do like other parts of the episode. So I don't know. I think, especially with X and stuff, I think it's kind of neat. And I like Vince Gilligan. I'm excited. I feel like he gets what I want. <laughs> I'm hoping that that stays true for future episodes that he writes. So don't let me down, Vince. Don't let me down. Well, I think it's time for me to say, all righty. All righty. I Want to Rewatch is hosted by Tori and Nick and recorded at Black Cat Studios. Hashtag really just a bedroom closet. Episode production, design, and editing is by Lazy End Productions. Our music is Dark Science by David Hillowitz. And The Truth is What We Make of It by The Agrarians. You can find us at IWantToRewatch.com or wherever podcasts are found. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast app. And you can always share this podcast with a friend. If they like the X-Files, we'd love to have them join us. Speaking of which, be sure to join us next time as we rewatch Season 2 of the X-Files, Episode 24, Our Town. And try to figure out if If the the truth truth is is still out there. there. Be like, 
Yeah, I think because when you said that, the cat food thing was going off. Oh yeah, I don't remember what I said. I know, just kind of say like, just kind of do give me like a like a generic like coming into the conversation, and I can probably splice the first part. Okay. Yeah, and I think like Vince Gilligan gets what I want. He gets me, and I'm hoping that that continues for his future episodes. So don't let me cool. down, Vince. Don't let yeah. me down. Yeah, I just need like half a word. So, I know. I just yeah. I'm bad at <laughs> cutting myself off. I'm like Loki. I like hearing myself talk, apparently, oh, which is okay. why I have a podcast, apparently. But oh, 